Hey, everybody. I'm back, and I'm a little bit more composed now. <laughs> so uh, welcome to all of you at Church Online. Thanks. Hey, thanks for inviting us over. It was, it's great to be there, and I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm really looking forward to doing this in person someday soon. So start dusting your parlor, take the plastic wrap off the couches, because we're coming over. Today we're going to wrap up our series with episode four. This is a series called Necessary Sins. And in this series, we've been looking at what we've been calling necessary sins. So if you are just joining us, maybe you're saying, well, what is a necessary sin? How is that even a thing? And in our world today, I think we can all agree that there are some things that are obvious that we could call them sins. Everyone would identify them as sins, even if they don't like the word sin. And so something like that would be murder. We say murder is always wrong. Rape is always wrong. Stealing, that's got to be wrong. But there are some other sins that, quite honestly, uh, they're more easy to justify. Some people would say they're more acceptable. They're more respectable. They're just woven into what we do. It's how we do things, right? I didn't even mean to. It just happens they're more necessary, necessary sins. So we, we looked at lying, and we found that just because it's common doesn't mean it's right, obviously. We looked at gossip and realized that everything that we say must be true. But not everything that's true must be said. We, we looked at lust and found from a different perspective that how God would help to heal us from a sin that so many people say, that's just who I am. That's, that's just the way I am. It's, it, I have to. Today I want to look at anger and what it does in our life and to our life. Anger is easy, again, very easy to justify, to rationalize, basically saying, hey, you know what? If you, if you hadn't, then I wouldn't have gotten mad. Or if, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't have lost my cool. Again, this is just the way God made me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just so against injustice. I'm just, I'm just a little hot-headed. That's the way my dad was, so that's just the way I am. You know what? It's a family thing. This is just how I deal with things. It's in my blood. And what we want to do is get, get past, beyond those excuses, down to the root and talk about anger. Now, as we do so, we need to understand that not all anger leads to the wrong result. Just to feel anger, to experience it, isn't necessarily a sin. We could argue that there's such a thing as sanctified anger and a sinful anger. And we like to rate all of our own anger as the sanctified and all of their anger as the sinful anger. But feeling upset about something, that's not where the sin occurs. It's our response to anger that leads us to do the right thing or the wrong thing. So Paul, uh, he wrote a letter and he said it to, sent it to his friends in Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 26. He said, in your anger, do not sin. You may feel angry, but if you don't have the wrong response you're not sinning. Anger might appear, it might flare, but in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger when you're still angry. Uh, and, and then the big one, this one I think is the most deeply insightful. Drink this one in. And do not give the devil a foothold. And there's a tiny little Greek word that's translated as foothold. It's the word topos. And it means an opportunity. It means a location. It literally means a room. We could say it's an Airbnb. In your anger, don't give a guest room to the devil in your heart or in your life. Don't let your anger live unchecked and unguarded 
without bringing it before God and asking him what to do, how, what's right in our heart. So way back, let's take a trip, way back to the beginning, the very beginning, we're going back to the Old Testament, there's an interesting story about two brothers. And we, we see how anger started to lead one brother in the wrong direction. There was Cain and there was Abel who went to make an offering before the Lord. And Abel made a good offering, but Cain didn't. And so God rejected Cain's offering, and here's how the story goes. Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? Now watch this. God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But, and, and you have a choice, okay? You, you can, you can, your answer can lead you to do what is right or wrong. But if you do not do what is right, check it out, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Why are you angry? Don't give the devil an Airbnb in your heart because if you don't bring your anger before God, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. There's a couple of destructive ways that we tend to deal with our anger. Maybe you know these. There are the stewers and there are the spewers. You probably already know which one you are, but just for fun, in case you don't, let's talk a little bit about how we destructively deal with our anger. This is not about pointing your finger at somebody else in the room. This is about pointing the finger at you. The spewers, what do they do? Spewers will express their anger. And when, when I say express, that's really a nice word for it. It's probably more like erupt or explode, but spewers express their anger. Proverbs 29, 11, Solomon wrote, he said, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Now, if you can believe it, I was once a part of a youth choir. I know it's hard to believe, and no, I was not in charge of keeping the beat or clapping on time. I'm just as incapable then as I am now. But I was still in a youth choir. And we took our show on the road one summer and we traveled around to a number of churches throughout Ontario, spreading our good cheer everywhere that we went. And on the layover, one of the recreational days, we were in uh, a church basement somewhere playing volleyball. And as you know, on rare occasions, high school boys can become somewhat competitive. So the ball is set, and one fine young lad, not me, jumps up high and smashes the ball down, looking for an easy point. But instead of nailing an easy point, he nails the music pastor's wife right in the face. Oh, it's ugly. Not her, but the hit. And as the entire group sort of collectively sucks in their breath in shocked silence, there is one word that is heard. It is a clear word. It is a loud word. There is no misunderstanding that one word. The one word that came out from the powerful singing lungs of our music pastor's wife. Then there's another shocked intake of breath and the music pastor gives it a moment and then he quips come on guys she's a farmer's daughter and then we all explode into laughter oh and by the way she was all right no problems and oh by the way yes my team did win that day 
the, the first name that popped into my head when I'm thinking about this, famous hothead, is Santino. Probably known better as Sonny. Sonny Corleone. Don Corleone is the firstborn son, ah, from the Godfather. He's famous for his temper, and his enemies use that well-known temper to trap him and then kill him. His fast, exploding temper destroyed him, and it really hurt his family. Look at what they did to my boy. That's what happened. Proverbs 14, 7. It's probably written for Sonny and the music pastor's wife, and probably for me too, maybe even for you. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and that's a spewer. And for most of us, let me just ask you, how many of you would say, honestly, uh, when, when anger comes, frustration, intolerance, you're a spewer? You bring the heat. For a spewer, you feel better. <sighs> but no one around you feels better, and they don't feel better around you. There's collateral damage, and seriously, there is collateral damage beyond what we think when we vent our anger. It hurts people. And God has called us to be people of self-control and of love and of peace. So there are spewers. I, I, I have spewed. I have done that. I have let it fly, sometimes when I thought I was alone, and sometimes when I knew I wasn't alone. But don't worry, I didn't forget about you. Next, uh, I don't want to leave anyone out, so next there are the stewards. So what do the stewards do? If spewers express it, stewards are going to do what? They're going to suppress it. They're going to push it down, deep, 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 deep down, keep it down inside. Psalm 32, verse 3, King David confessed, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I pushed my emotion deep down on my insides, the deepest part of my soul, and it was damaged all day long. There are people out there, you, you stewards, you have a knock-down, drag-em-out, smash-em-up fight, just like spewers do. The difference is you do it in your head, don't you? Come on, you rehearse it. You rewind it and replay it. You rewrite it. You put a better script in. You, like you go through all, every aspect of, of what happened in your, your blown-up fight, and then when the person that, that you, you've been thinking about this fight with, they walk into the room, you're like, and they're like, what, what did I do? And you've had this total fight in your head, and, and they don't even know about it because you suppressed it. You pushed it down. We do that. I think I've done that too. I've I have done that too. If the spewers bring the heat, the stewers bring the cold. Cold fire. You can feel it and you can feel it from a distance. The room temperature just dropped and everyone senses it. The cat runs from the room. The goldfish hides behind the little castle and the dog puts his paws over his head. There's a story in the New Testament. There's a story that Jesus told. It's a parable about the prodigal son. Probably one of the most famous stories Jesus told. And if you know it, you know that the younger son, he went to his father and he asked for his share of his living father's inheritance. Huge insult, as if to say, I wish you were dead. And great for the crowd, because the people listening would look at each other, you know, slap each other on the arm or whatever. <laughs> they would snort and look at each other and go, if that was my son, let me tell you. But, but, but the father, he, he 
gave the younger son's share to him. And the son goes off and he spends it on big parties and women and alcohol and buying up all of the extra items from all of the video games that he's playing. It's just wild living. And when the money runs out, the friends run out, and he wakes up with nothing in a pig pen, realizing that his father's servants, they live way better than he does. And he begins to make the trek home because he's thinking, he's hoping. He's not hoping that the father would accept him back as a son, no. But he's hoping that maybe the father, maybe the father would allow him to become a servant again because he has nothing. And he knows his father's servants are way better off. So he goes home and and the father sees him. And you probably know the story, right? You've heard this before. The father sees him from way, way far long off. And he runs to him and he throws his arms around him. He puts a robe of royalty over him. He puts the signet ring on his finger. And with this ring, he can now speak on behalf of the family. And he orders the fattened calf to be slaughtered because tonight, 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 we're going to have the party of all parties. We're going to hear that story. And we all say, oh, it's a great story. I love that story. It's a beautiful story of grace. But behind door number two, we have son number two. And that brother didn't ask for his share of the inheritance. And that brother did stay at home when he was supposed to stay at home. It's, it's the brother that did all of the, the right things, the right way. And, and when he sees his brother, brother who did it all wrong, getting all the special treatment after being a selfish, ungrateful, law-breaking, family-wrecking imbecile, he doesn't like it. No, he doesn't like it one bit. So they go into the house. Luke tells us this in 1528. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. Things didn't go my way. I I don't like it. And everybody's going to know that I don't like it. I'm going to simmer. But you don't hide simmering. We all feel the simmer. I'm going to push it down. I'm going to not express it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to deal with it. And you may feel like you're in control. You you may feel like you're exhibiting self-control by suppressing these emotions, but I'm going to tell you two things are going to happen. One, it is going to mess you up on your insides. And two, it will come out. Sooner or later, it will come out and it will hurt others. But it will hurt you before it hurts others. It is dangerous how it affects us and infects us. And so... That's why we're talking about it. That's my my prayer that God would speak to you today that that by his Holy Spirit, he will help us to become not rage bringers, but peace givers. Because that is what we're called to, right? We are to bring the spirit, the atmosphere, the aroma of Christ wherever we go. So what do we do with our anger? I mean, it's still there, right? Right? It didn't just disappear. It happens. It still flares. Things go wrong. What do we do? How how come we can't avoid it? Here's a pretty interesting thought, though. Fifteen times throughout the gathered writings, fifteen times through the different ancient historical manuscripts put together that we call the Bible, fifteen different times the different authors talk about anger with the metaphor or the analogy of a fire. Anger and fire. They're, they're, they're one and the same. And fire is a paradox. You, you live in, in, in none of it. Fire is life. You don't have fire. You're, you're not alive. You have to have it. It's not only protective, 
It's essential to live. It boils the water, heats your home, keeps you warm, cooks your food. On the flip side, fire can burn down your house and everything you've ever owned. It's very destructive. And at the same time, it's productive and necessary and destructive. And anger is the same way. How do you deal with it? It's there. First thing I want to do is talk about sinful anger. We've, we've talked about how we express it, but what do we do with sinful anger? And if single sinful anger is a fire, you're going to have to put it out. You're going to have to find a way to douse that emotion. You're going to have to learn, practice the pursuit, let the Holy Spirit transform you by the renewing of your mind. You're going to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit to pursue Jesus. And just like we said with lust when we talked about it last episode, this is not just about stopping something. I don't just mm, stop it. You're going to need to start something. You've got to put your, your mind on something. So you want to be starting something? Oh, you've got to be starting something in pursuing and working with the Holy Spirit on projects and plans that he has for you. He will cause something new to grow in you. And when this starts popping up, it appears. Other people are going to notice it. And you're going to notice it too. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. They become more apparent in your life. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Isn't that a good picture? So visual. Think about it. Think about the pressure behind a dam, just, just waiting to burst out, just waiting to come out at you. Pressure that you couldn't possibly contain. There's nothing you can do. You're just overwhelmed by it. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Second thing, I need to challenge you with this. It is not just the way you are. So many times we'll chalk this up to, oh, this is just the way God made me. It's in my blood. Most of the time, it is the way that I made me. It's learned behavior. I practice it. I got better at it. You do have the ability, ability to control it. You do. It's just easier for you to release when people close to you are around. You can be fully flared. And the phone rings, right? And you pull it all back under control. Really? Duct cleaning. Thank you. I've been waiting for your call. You're not raging when I come by. You see me, you want to put it all together, right? You put on that control and that smile and say, hello, pastor. Blessed day we're having, is it not? And I'm telling you, I do the same thing when I see you. So how does that play out? You know, if you're driving and someone cuts you off, you say, oh, glory, hallelujah. So before you flip out, and you let them know that they are number one, you think to yourself, man, I wonder what's going on in their lives. There must be something important for them to be going in such a hurry, and I struggle with this, but when, what, what if we gave people the benefit of the doubt? What if we gave people a little space to deal? Will they take advantage? Sure they will. This, this never connected with me deeply until something happened and it crossed into my path in a way that I never would have ever guessed. This is not just about holy behavior. This is about wisdom. 
I used to manage some blockbuster stores, and I know many of you don't even know what that would be. Just imagine it's a store, we've got stuff and they're customers, okay? Now, when you're managing stores, you earn a bonus by reducing costs and increasing profit. One of the best ways to do this is to control your shrink. Shrink is business speak for theft, people stealing from you. We always want a lower shrink line. And we get frustrated when people steal especially when you can see them doing it, right? And the official corporate line is that you, you never look to detain a shoplifter physically. Prevent, don't confront. But this is lousy when you're working it, right? It's frustrating. And why does this matter? How does this relate to what we're talking about? Here's a simple line that my boss told me to always remember and please never, ever forget. He said, you don't know where they are coming from or where they are going to. And I'm going, well, why does that matter? Because what they're doing is wrong, and it needs to be stopped. But in one of our stores, just down the road from where I worked, the week before we had this conversation, there was an incident, and the police were involved. The store had experienced a significant theft, and the police were notified in the security tapes being viewed. The story was that the thief was clearly identified, and he was a known offender. But this day had been something different. And this is not a joke. He had left his home where he had stabbed and killed his parents. The knife that he used was in his backpack that he had filled with stolen merchandise. And after he left the store, he proceeded to his girlfriend's apartment where he killed her also. And then he sat down in that place. And that is where they apprehended him sitting there, playing video games, stolen from the store, just down the road from mine. You don't know where they've come from, and you don't know where they're going. I now have more room to give people space to have bad days. And if we could just learn to give human beings the benefit of the doubt, a little space, recognize that there are, probably, there are probably things going on in their world which we do not know anything about. God would allow us to not be rage bringers, but instead to be peace givers. That's who he has made us to be. James chapter 1, verse 19, everyone. And who does that include? Well, it's everyone. Yeah, that even includes me. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And now here's a verse that we, we, we may not always want to talk about. Why, why, James? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's because when we are slow to anger, we reflect the character of God. Seven different books in the Bible, say that God is slow to anger. And if we could choose to give people the benefit of the doubt, to be peace givers, to become slow to get angry, in doing that, we will reflect the character of God. And when we reflect it, it becomes visible to other people. Living in this way brings the kingdom of God into visible existence for you to experience and for others to experience through you as you reflect Jesus. So what do we do? We go to him and 
That hymn is God hymn, and we ask him to forgive us, and we ask him to direct us, and then we do as he says. And I would love to tell you today that this is not an issue for me. I would love to prepare a message that in my mind I get to have these thoughts like, this, is, this message, this one's for all you losers out there who've got a problem. I'm good on this issue though. But I've got to be honest with you. This is an issue for me also. And I tell it to my family. I say, I'm the pastor and I'm the dad and I'm the one who needs to make sure that I lead in my house by apologizing and learning from my bursts. I need to model the path of forgiveness and right relationship. I do not expect anyone to do what I refuse to do. And that's hard. That is extra weight and, and lying there all the time and saying, you, you can't let it linger. You can't, you can't let it linger. You've you got to deal with this. Don't you dare get up there and preach with something that's festering. It's horrible. It just eats at me sometimes. There's sometimes I just want to sit for a good couple of weeks and let it stew and baste myself and all of my upset to lounge in my anger. But I can't do that now. I have no freedom to do that now. And around me, there's so much of God's goodness it's in everything, but it's just exhausting sometimes. And to be honest, I thought I was going to be able to handle the stress better than I really do. And have you ever gone into your kids' rooms or into the, the, the room that you share with your spouse or maybe in, into your parents' room and, and, and ask them honestly, do you ever feel kind of intimidated by me when I get stressed or upset? Have you ever asked that? This is not a male issue or a female issue. This is a human being issue. And I want to challenge you to ask the people that you are around the most, do I bring with me the weight or the smell of intimidation? Not did you mean to, but did you actually do it? Because I will not do that. I will not create that environment. And in so many ways, each of us can bring that into someone else's world. You can bring it with the fiery heat and with the icy manipulative cold. Come on, let's deal with our sinful anger. It's hurting us first and other people after that. But there's this other kind of anger that we haven't talked about yet, and it's called righteous anger. And this area gets a little bit tricky, to be honest, because we love to identify any anger that we have as righteous anger. And yeah, I'm angry, but in a really good way. But try and hear this one also. If sanctified anger is a fire, I need you to fan the flame. I need you to take that ember of some issue that isn't right in the world and fan that into an inferno. Not a rage inferno but a burning focus. And so many times the, the people of God sit in the church and they say, amen, that's right, and then they go out into the rest of the world and they do nothing constructive. Mark chapter three, Jesus goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are following him, they're watching, they're trying to catch him doing something illegal, anything, but they love to watch for working on the Sabbath. So Jesus looked at them in anger he looked at this man who was there with his hand shriveled up, who needed to be healed. And Jesus was angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand completely restored. And if we will fan that ember of righteous anger against injustice that God has put a burden on in your life, and you'll fan that into an inferno, it doesn't mean that we bring destruction. It means that we do good. 
We would show kindness. That's what Jesus did. And that's the model that we are following. The anger led Jesus to do good for the one in need and not bring punishment on those he was angry with. Like that Popeye the Sailor Man kind of spinach-induced power rage against the villains. Somebody out there, you, you must, somebody's got to know who Popeye is, right? That's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. I'm done. It's over. It's spinach time. It's time to make a change. It's time to make a difference. And some of you, I think maybe you do need a Popeye kind of moment where you say, you look at it and you say, no longer will I just sit back and complain about what somebody else is doing wrong. No longer will I hurl comments from the sidelines. No longer will I blame and defame and name call. I will get in it. I'll get my sleeves rolled up and I will work at bringing about something good. I will be part of the solution. I will bring kindness, goodness, mercy, and grace onto the scene. 2 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We fan it. Fan it into an inferno. Strike out at our own selfishness, at our debt. Holding on to past hurts and reliving them over and over again. We strike back at them. You know the best news about this? I, me, I deserve God's anger. I have earned it. We all deserve God's anger. We have all sinned. We've all blown it. My sin has earned me death. Our sin separates us from God, and God, in his grace, sent us Jesus. He didn't give us the rage we deserve. He gave us the mercy we didn't deserve. And as a result, lives are changed People are given a purpose to live out. And out of the overflow of what God is doing in our own hearts, so shall we live and spread the same grace and the same mercy that God has given us to a world that desperately needs it. We are here so that they may know that God loves them and that Jesus died for them. We are here so that we can be reminded that God loves me, Jesus died for me, loves you, and died for you. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We did not deserve them, but you generously gave them to us anyway. We thank you for a moment, even just a moment to be honest with you today, right now. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I sense again that I need you. You are my mighty champion, and I choose to remind myself of you and what you have done for me again. Remind me right now. You are my hope. You are my freedom. You are my savior. You break the chains that lock me up. You heal my broken heart. You have power even over death. You fight my battles with me and for me. Because of who you are and what you have done, I choose my choice to bow my knees before you. 
You are the lion that fights for me, and you are the lamb that provides my way of escape. I trust you for today. I trust you for tomorrow. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? I am safe with you, both now and forevermore. And that is why I follow you. My trust is in you. Jesus, guide me forward this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.